Hi, welcome everyone. We're just gonna, as people are rolling in, we're just gonna get us give us give ourselves a few more minutes before we get started again. We have Ayana here for at least a half an hour. Give ourselves a couple minutes to let me. Give it a couple more minutes. All right. Well, maybe we'll go ahead and just get started just to keep ourselves on time. Um, this is the networking hour with Ayana Wallace. Most of you were probably in her session. And um, this is really just an opportunity to have more of an up close and personal experience with Ayana and to ask her any questions. Um, and really just to continue the dialogue in more of an informal and personal setting. So I'm not sure if anyone has any questions that they want to kick off, if there's something that came up in the presentation that you were wondering or still curious about, um, anything that you, it, it kind of just, it's an open session. Um, Ayana, also, I'm not sure if there's anything you wanted to expand on or anything that you were thinking about as you were presenting that you didn't get to or anything that came up in the questions? Um, I'll say I'll open it up to everyone else first because you know I can talk um, but anybody have any thoughts questions comments stories they want to share and I'll also be monitoring the chat so if folks are some folks may be a little more comfortable kind of writing down their questions that way that's totally fine and I can go ahead and ask those questions that come up in the chat as well. Feel free to turn your cameras on. <laughs> I see one brave face. <laughs> yeah, I think Ayana likes to see people. And again, <laughs> no pressure. I know that some people may still be in their pajamas or head wraps or bonnets or whatever it may be. Um, Come as you are. Yes, that's that too. Yeah, if you're like in the middle of eating lunch, like just you can come on camera. I'm about to get a snack myself, so don't worry. I just finished my lunch. Hey, Todd. Hi. Ooh, your hair is beautiful. I'm not going to and say, are you talking about me? I am talking about you. <laughs> I literally had it up in a big ball. That's why it's like. <laughs> it looks great. <laughs> Thank you. And um, I think for me, that's part of us. There's rejection of, um, you know, uh, you know, the other, the, the, the way you should look, right? You know, you got to color your hair. Otherwise, you won't be taken as a professional or you look old or whatever. Who's, it's just whatever. 
Yeah, I love it. Show up as your whole self. So does anyone have anything, any thoughts, comments, questions, pieces? You're like, hey, one more resources about this. Well, I did want to say it seemed pretty um, courageous for uh, them to give up their um, individual advocacy and um, only look at systemic issues. Um, and I recognize our, our, the thing that we always say, which is, um, was also said earlier, is that we like to be grounded in uh, individual cases so that we keep our pulse on the community and what's going on. On the other hand, those individual cases can um, and often do just kind of overwhelm us so that we don't really do the systemic work that we need to do. And that's just a ongoing struggle. So that's why I said, oh, wow, that was really courageous to um, just say, hey, we need to focus here. That's all I wanted to really say. Thanks. I think, and I, I really agree, like when, because it's really important, we try to get each survivor what they need. And we also recognize that there's so many just structural, institutional, systemic challenges we have to deal with. It's always sort of the balance of like, how do I get the survivor what they need right now? While also acknowledging like this whole system might have to change over here. And like, maybe we're not there yet, but we need to get there. Um, yeah, that's always, I always find that the difficult balance of like, what do we do for survivors right now versus what do we plan? What do we strategically plan to do for them? What can we do within our grants? What can we do within the constructs that we have? Um, how have folks dealt with that? I have generally not found individual client advocacy to be a barrier to larger work. Um, okay. I find my own apathy um, or my own time management to be a barrier to mm -hmm. that. But I think I am many, many, like, I'm a long way away from being like, oh, if I just gave up like regular case handling, I'd be able to handle the other things. Like if it were a 50-50 split, that would be progress on my, on my end. Okay. Other folks? In for me, it's really, um, I sort of have my hands in kind of like both cookie jars, you know, individual representation, disability benefits. And then um, a couple of years ago, I started um, uh, working on systemic cases, um, mostly disability related systemic cases. Um, but it is true that even when you have a systemic settlement, um, that there are so many, so many restrictions I, I, in terms of the system itself being the barrier. Um, when you, even when you have a settlement, um, not that I've taken part in these, but I've, I've been learning um, that there are all these barriers to, oh, well, we can't ask for this so much because then that'll get rejected. And, 
So even the expectations of how much change can we can bring about systemically mm -hmm. are dampened by states' rights, right? Or the, the, the fundamental alteration, which to me, when I first heard of that, I was so confused and I said, well, yeah, that's what you wanna do. You wanna fundamentally alterate, <laughs> you know? And you're telling me that's a defense? I I'm confused, you know? But that is part of the legal, uh, you know, the, uh, the tools in the magician, right? You know, you think the rabbit is in the hat, but it's not really there, it's somewhere else because they're the ones making, the system is making the rules and, and how we can even impact systemic changes sometimes um, sadly inadequate. Your thoughts, comments? It doesn't have to be specifically about this, what we're talking about now, you can change the subject too. That's fine. I can put a slightly sharper point on what I said earlier, um, maybe to upset someone enough to kind of talk and tell me I'm wrong. Um, I think we, I think we often are very good at um, reciting reasons why we can't do a better job at the things that we ought to be doing. Um, we often say, well, we're limited in what we can do because of uh, LSE restrictions. Um, LSD restrictions could limit us eventually, but we are a long way, like it's very, very rare that there's an actual LSD restriction that is, limits us from doing a type of advocacy that we are otherwise prepared to do. Um, so uh, I guess we could, we could go a lot further within the, so I, sometimes I feel that we are good at listing reasons not to do a better job of what we could be doing um, in order to like tell ourselves a story that it can't be done. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. Other folks, anybody have a similar opinion, different opinion, seen the same thing? Says I, I feel like that's usually the case of like, yeah. well, there's so many things that have to change. Like we have to start small. So like, Let's put it off a little bit longer. Or let's wait, or let's let's be more strategic. And then the strategic doesn't really come in. Um, so really thinking of like, how do we create sustainable changes, even if they're small, because those will eventually get somewhere. But like, how do we even start? How do we even get it out of folks' heads that like we can't accomplish these things? Other thoughts, and I'm not leaving. I hear my dog, my old dog being bad in the other room. So I'm gonna go grab her and bring her in here. But you're on, obviously on um, speaker. So other thoughts? Well, Micah, I'm happy. I mean, uh, Daniel, I'm happy that you said that because um, I do think like even at MLAC, like there's some stuff like we're governed by a statute. And I think we have that conversation a lot around things that we potentially could do. And then you'll have a couple of people chime in about the statute and we're like, you know, okay, let's actually look at it and see if there's anything in there. And then once we go dig in, it's like, well, there's really nothing in the statute that says that we can't do X, Y, and Z. So 
I'm happy that you said that. And I was thinking a little bit about that, Santina, when you were talking, because I think kind of coming around back around to what I think oftentimes we, you know, this idea that there are restrictions that prevent us sometimes is actual and sometimes it's just what we're telling ourselves because what we're telling ourselves because it just seems like a giant, right? And a bear to begin to even think about it. At the same time, if we think about ways that we can start to pull back the la layers in some small ways, um, we don't always have to attack the bear in front of us, but really kind of look at it as, okay, well, what do we, what do we do with the finger? You know, how do we get that? How, you know, some small ways to start back to, to begin to peel back the layers. Um, and, you know, in legal services, we've kind of been doing things the way that we've been doing things, right? And like, there's a formula, you know, there's a, there's a service delivery model that works, right? And um, why, 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 you know, fix if it's, why, um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And so I think kind of evolving that mentality as well, it's gonna take somewhat of a, you know, a, um, a, a shift here, you know, as opposed to um, anything else, the, the mental shift, the philosophy shift um, starts, it has to start there. Another sometimes, thoughts? Oh, go ahead, Santina. Sometimes I think that someone was saying before, you know, taking care of the crisis of the individual versus the, the larger picture. And um, perhaps what we need is a triage of sorts, you know, where, I don't think that's the right word, triage. What, what I'm trying to say is a separation of like impact like that woman was talking about in that video, the fact that she was helped changed her daughter's life mm -hmm. and, and then her daughter's children's life lives. And so that's supremely important, um, sort of changing the narrative, impacting people in a way that, that matters. But there's different, just different times I'm not saying this correctly. Um, I just think that it's it's obviously important to take care of the crisis, but I think we need to do more to sort of preempt those things, you know. And and a lot of that is in in education, early education. The way the speaker yesterday was talking about how she was treated like she was um, stupid, basically during her most of her educational experience was negative. And so many impoverished children go through that. Um, so I think you have to start there. That's very important, but that there are other aspects of that, you know, house, you know, housing people, uh, food insecurity, just so there's so much. And maybe we just need to have like different legal services focused on different aspects of people's lives. I don't know. Does that, I'm sorry. That makes not, I'm just kind of rambling, having a hard time to, to, to explain what I'm trying to say. You're good. It's part of the co-creating process. Um, and this is where everybody comes in, right? Like we can all support each other. Um, 
Yeah, it's really interesting because when I was in shelter in particular, I was constantly trying to tell folks that if we do anti-racism work, then we won't have a lot of these problems or we won't have a lot of these barriers that survivors are having to deal with when they come in for DV. And they're like, well, we don't have time to do that because we have to deal with the DV. And I'm like, yeah, but you recognize if we do anti-racism work, if we do equity work, that's gonna help with housing, that's gonna help with employment, that's gonna help with self-esteem, that's gonna help with childcare and family ties, that's gonna help with them actually accessing benefits and getting stable employment and, inco and income. Like that's gonna help with so many different layers that you see as barriers because you haven't, we haven't been creative enough to sort of do things differently. And I think that a lot of times it, I think a lot of times it absolutely has to do with trauma, our own individual trauma, not just the survivor's trauma of like, I don't want to make things harder for someone, so I'm just not going to do it. Or I don't want to come across the wrong way and hurt someone, so I'm not even going to go there. Like I'm going to stay in my lane, and they'll just have to add on some ben like add on some services that might help them. But really, your lane is all the lanes. Like you might be the one person that sees the full picture and can articulate it, and then advocate for that person, even if you can't stay on their case for forever, but you know, hey, I know this advocate that does really great work and they're gonna take up the cause after me or they're gonna really work with this person really well. Or, hey, I know this person that provides mental health services and they understand the legal system so they can maybe talk to them a little bit differently than I might be able to. Um, it's really about how do we get creative and how do we take ourselves out of the center and put survivors at the center um, while also recognizing that we as advocates, however we show up is important as well. It's like very, like there's so many different layers that we have to unpack when we're doing this type of work of like, it's not about you, but it is about you at the same time. Like you can be a great advocate. You can also acknowledge you've done harm. You can also acknowledge that you might have some implicit bias, but like there's some things that I found out, found out about myself in this work that I had no idea. Like I had no idea that I actually had bias towards folks that use substances until I started doing the work because I was like, yeah, everybody deserves a chance. Everybody deserves whatever. It wasn't until I actually started doing the work and reading, reading, rereading case reports that I was like, hey, maybe this language that I'm using isn't actually the best to support folks. Or hey, maybe I'm, I'm gonna need extra support when Child Protective Services comes in to remove a child or when they come in for an evaluation, right? Like thinking about, it isn't about you, but it is. And so if you're recognizing, hey, his implicit bias might be showing up, or hey, I might have some privilege that I wasn't aware of, or hey, I might have hurt someone, like unpacking it, and then thinking about what you can do then, recognizing all those things to then better support folks. So that's sort of why I was saying that fragility and shame are really interesting because they're probably the greatest excuses to not continue forward in the work. Um, and really, I mean, we can have, listen, we have like 10 minutes, so I can go into a whole, <laughs> a whole conversation, but we can really get into the weeds of what is anti-Blackness and how does it show up? What is misogynoir and how does it show up? How can I as, I mean, this is obviously not me talking about it, but like how can I as an individual or non-Black person or a man or whatever, 
how can I still recognize that I might hold some privilege and power? How can I leverage it to support Black women? What is my real understanding of Black womanhood and what it means to be a Black woman and experience life as a Black woman? Like, if you haven't started asking yourselves those questions, it's the time, right? Of like, you're here, like, you're here in this session, this additional session for a reason. Like, y'all are probably the greatest people to be going out and talking to your colleagues or talking to community because you're actually invested. Um, and another thing that I think conversations about advocacy can be really interesting as well. Um, because a lot of times, again, we go into advocacy work with best intentions. We want people to do well. We want people to um, get everything that they need to live great lives. And still we have this real fear of being imperfect allies or imperfect advocates. Like I remember I was having a, um, when I was at the network, I was having a conversation with one of my colleagues, one of my white colleagues, my homegirl now, um, and we were talking about anti-racism and she was saying how terrified she was to be called a racist or to be seen as problematic or to not say the right things and to hurt people. Um, and how she didn't, she didn't know how to articulate what a black woman might be experiencing to other white folks because she wasn't black. And I just simply put like, you're never gonna be black. <laughs> you're never gonna be a black woman. Like, I understand that as a Black woman, you're never going to be, but I understand that you can still be invested in this work and you can still give voice to folks who have largely been silenced or might not even be in the room. I do know that. I do know that really folks, and she she mentioned, um, she didn't want to be called a Karen. And I was like, really? The only folks who get canceled in our culture are Karens, are folks who won't accept accountability or accept that they caused harm and do something different. Like those are the people you really like, don't worry about them. Those are like, worry about you and what you can do and what you're willing to acknowledge or not. Um, and so don't like, what I would say all that to say is like, don't let fear of being imperfect stop you from doing what you need to do. Cause again, that's always the greatest excuse of like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna hurt but you might be hurting someone more by simply not saying or not speaking up or not saying what you need to say or not, you know, if you're recognizing that there are some areas that are problematic that you could change or some policies where the language might be off or needs to be updated and you don't say it, that's actually what makes you an imperfect ally, not saying something wrong, learning and correcting yourself. So that was, yeah, that was very long winded to say that, but <laughs> That's sort of where my thought got me. So I needed to get it out. But other thoughts, other questions, resources folks would like. Um, I could talk about some Black women writers that I think are amazing. And I can um, actually let me pull up that. But yeah, other thoughts? I think there's a lot of conversation that goes on and when we talk about what can we do or whatever, and it's always external to us. And I think um, before you do anything else, you have to deal with your own stuff, okay? Mm -hmm. And so if nothing else, I think for those people who are not people of color, um, I think folks need to examine themselves, what they're doing to contribute or to uphold those systems of oppression, uh, because it starts with the individual and, and you, um, manifest what you think, 
Okay, so if you say, for example, if you're on a hiring committee and you have a certain bias against people of color or people who have a different sexual orientation or whatever, by you being mindful of your own bias, um, that will help improve the process, if you understand what I'm saying, because you're at least aware of the fact that you may not be giving this person a fair shot um, because of your own personal bias. And so I think a lot of the attention has been focused on the external when it should be on the internal first. I, I do think that there's a process to all of this and that much of the attention has been placed on what happens externally. Yeah, folks, <laughs> folks like to bring us in to talk about what they can do for survivors. And one of my first questions is usually, what do you do for your black staff? Like start there and then tell me. Because if you are having trouble working with survivors, I can almost guarantee you there's some trouble brewing in the workplace for, for black women or people of color, people of difference. Um, and so again, to be able to peel back those layers and get a little honest with each other and have an accountability partner, someone you trust, someone you get along with, um, who can give you some honest truths and you give them some honest truths of, as well about your experience, I think is really important. And I'll add for folks who, for non-Black people of color as well to make sure, and really everyone, but pe Black people as well, because people have bias, everyone has bias, um, but to really make sure that you're having full holistic conversations about what that means, how it shows up, how you're impacted, uh, the different stigmas that are attached to folks, really thinking about who are white allies that we can lean on or turn to, who are folks that are vocal, um, who's been pushed out of the movement, because there have been plenty of folks that have been pushed out of the movement because they champion for people of color, because they champion for black survivors. And so to think about and start to name those folks and bring them back into the conversation or back into the work, that goes a long way as well. I um, So I, um, I'm in Western Massachusetts, or one of the most segregated parts of the country, particularly when it comes to white Latino segregation. Um, I work in a nonprofit charged with you know, housing law and housing discrimination. So if there's a who is asleep on the job that is allowing the segregation to continue, the answer is me. Like the answer is me personally um, and the rest of my organization. Um, we don't think of ourselves that way. That's not a. Um, so I guess there's. I also grew up with a lot of privileges, a lot of biases, a lot of assumptions, and have a full lifetime's worth of internal work that I could be doing. Um, and like another lifetime's worth of like talking about that internal work. But like while I'm examining and talking and reflecting, I'm still asleep on the job. Um, right? Like we're not decreasing segregation in our area. Um, and so I, I guess I, am mindful of the harm of like how really things could be done badly in ways that actually make things worse. Um, but also feel like mindful that for many things, exercise, um, the best way to get better at it is to do it and mm -hmm. to think about how you're doing it and to refine it and to get better and better and better. 
Um, and while there is a place with like making a plan, I'm going running this morning, where am I gonna actually go? Um, there's also a time to say, okay, we've done enough planning. We're gonna, now it's, at some point we'll just sort of stop. Yeah, yeah I, I love that. So I love the plan of like, all right, this morning I'm gonna take this route and we're gonna try to get there but also acknowledging there might be a detour I have to make. So I'm gonna start running, but I might have to turn a couple blocks before I was planning to, but I can get back on track a little bit later. Like that's how flexible we have to start being. It's again, it's really difficult when it's like, all right, I have these limited resources. I have this structure in place. I have these ideas I'm working through. I'm you know, part of this learning and unlearning process, this rapport building with the survivor that I'm working with. That's, that might be a challenge. Like there's so many different layers but again, it's worth it. So stay invested, uh, keep reevaluating what your plan, like if your organizational plan is to do something by a certain day and you're recognizing this deadline might not happen or these plans aren't really shaping up the way we thought they were, reevaluate it and talk together as a group about what you actually want, what you want your organization to be, who you want to be as people, who you wanna be as an organization, what you wanna stand for, what you wanna be known as in the community. Um, understand that you're not going to undo 500 years of whatever in the time that you're working there necessarily, but you can definitely start it. You can definitely kick it off and make sure people don't go back to sleep. Um, you know, bang the pans if you need to, like get, draw some attention if you need to. Um, stay in it as long as you feel like you're, even when it's challenging and frustrating, if you feel like, okay, I made a little bit of progress today, stay in it. And if you don't feel like that, maybe go to a new space and come back later. Like that's okay too. Really evaluate who you wanna be, who you are, and then does that align with what you all are doing and have that, like have an honest conversation together. Um, and then bring in folks like Ujima. We would love to support you all as best we can and have conversation. Um, but yeah, Tanisha, anything? Any other thoughts? No, I think that's it. I mean, I think that what I've tried to say in the other um, sessions is don't let this be your last encounter with um, Ayana Majima. We have started working together. I think it's been, um, is it it's almost been a, like year? a year? Yeah, <laughs> it's been a year. Um, we partnered together to do, if you have MOVA attorneys in your office, if you're within our grantee circle, they have seen Ayana before. Um, and so we did a whole training with them. And so this is a, this is a going to be, a, it's not a one-shot deal. We will continue to partner with Ayana and with Ujima and we will follow her wherever she goes, even if she leaves Ujima. Um, so don't be shy about reaching out to her directly or to me. I'm happy to help coordinate um, trainings, workshops, whatever we can do in partnership with Ujima for your organization. Um, and again, let this be the beginning of our conversation, but not the end. Yes. Um, thank you so much, Ayana. We appreciate you for being here today and um, we'll see you all again. All righty. I hope so everyone's much. enjoying the conference. Thank all right. You. Thank you all. Have a good one. Thank, thank you. you too. Bye.